I was sharing the talk with the children in the church there, and I was talking to them about the importance of loving one another and getting along with one another. Of course, kids do that naturally, don't they? And I was explaining to the children that God wants us all to be right. And after I told them this, this
See, it's God, isn't it? Not just on an individual level, but also on a community level, a national level, an international level. And the love between Christians is seen by those who are not Christians as a visible showing of the invisible God. For example, how are we doing at loving all other people without showing favouritism or partiality? In the very character of God's people, the church should always be to reflect God in all aspects. And the ultimate example of showing people God's love is for you as a Christian to love and be loved. People should be seeing God's love through our love, your love, my love, Father's. Whereas Jesus himself said, all people will know that you are my followers if you have loved one for another. Are we exhibiting love, do you think, in this nation as a church? God is love. God is love, and we as his people are also to be loved. But what kind of God is a God of love? It must be a personal God, because love implies personality, doesn't it? He must therefore be capable of having and sustaining relationships. A personal God who sustains relationships would also want to be known by humanity. We know that God is spirit, and he's also a, a personal and infinite being. God is in God is one in substance or nature, incapable of being divided. Yet God is also three exactly equal and eternally existing persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And while much of the Trinity remains a mystery to us, we can say with certainty that the way these three persons of the Godhead interact is a total mystery beyond our mortal comprehension. And if someone claims to know, well, they're lying, or they're deluded. It's a mystery behind our comprehension, experience, and language. We do know, however, that the three members, Father, Son, and Spirit, never act in opposition to any other member, but are always in harmony and union. So the Trinity is three persons in one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not one plus one plus one equaling three, but one multiplied by one, multiplied by one, therefore equaling one. Paul took the declaration of that oneness of God that every Jew said every day, the Lord your our God, the Lord is one. And Paul split it up. He rewrote it as, there is but one God the Father, and there is but one Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And the concept of God being Trinity is explicit throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, for example, in Isaiah chapter 48, God is the Sovereign Lord, Spirit, and Redeemer. In the New Testament, for example, at Jesus' baptism, the three persons of the Godhead were present, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Lord Jesus also impressed upon his disciples the distinction between the Father and himself and clearly taught about the Holy Spirit as being distinct yet again. There is one God, 
one invisible, indivisible essence or substance of which God is made, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in each of these belongs the whole undivided essence of God. The totality of God exists in the Father, and in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. Each member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, is self-conscious and self-directed. That's a wow. You can say that, so that's it. <laughs> and there's a communion between the persons of the Trinity. They're in a relationship with each other. In the work of redemption or salvation, there's a coordination within them. The Father chose us, the Son redeems us, and the Holy Spirit seals us. Between these three persons, there's eternal unison, an active purpose, and yet seemingly external distinctiveness between the three members of the Godhead. This Godhead, with its qualities of relationship, shows that God is indeed love, and the work of salvation is an act of love from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If God was only one, yet not one, then how could love possibly be shown? Because it takes more than one to love, doesn't it? So love is an essential and inevitable form of love. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And the God we serve as their disciples exhibits love, or is to exhibit love. And this God commands us to love one another so that He will be seen. By showing love, we reflect the Almighty God of Almighty Love. We are made. This loving God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is also a missionary God. Jesus was sent to save the lost and redeemed humanity. The Holy Spirit was sent for the Father and the Son. And Christians are to echo this missionary God, going about telling and living the good news of Jesus Christ. Now I invite Chris up to take a, a short path. Thank you, Chris. And I shall conclude and recapitulate. Well, my little part in this really is evangelism. And I've got a little title on that called Evangelism Which Way Now. Now, if I get a little passionate, please forgive me. <laughs> I want to make one thing clear before I start. If you can't understand me, I'm the Yorkshire and I'm from God's own country. Do you understand? Now, the church has got three primary functions, and they are adoration, edification, and evangelism. Adoration, really, is to glorify God. It tells us in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, I created for my glory who I formed and made. Edification, well, really, is just teaching or preaching. The New Testament was written, basically, for that purpose. In fact, if you go back 2,000 years, They'd write the book of Romans, for example, and they would stand there reading it out. I mean, we might have problems reading two chapters in one go. To stand there and read the old book of Romans. Especially Paul. I mean, even Peter had a problem with Paul's writing. And finally, evangelism. I mean, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, is what we now call the Great Commission. And the last words of Jesus to his 11 remaining disciples 
before he ascended to heaven was, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. All authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus, and his disciples were meant to do the same thing, the exact same thing, and that was to continue through the centuries. In fact, our calling today is the exact same as the calling of Jesus' disciples then. We are, in fact, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to minister to the multitudes through preaching, teaching, and healing of the sick. We are to disciple others and baptize them, baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, I read a book where the author made a very bold claim. Now, forgive me, I can't remember the title of this book about a third mile library really is on mission. But the, the author claimed that the devil has tricked the church into divorce and evangelism. And I really kind of believe that because there seems to be a fear within the church. If you, if you mention evangelism to people, the very first thing to think about is outreach. And there seems to be a fear of people generally talking about Jesus. But I want you to know something. If you have a look at Ecclesiastes, Chapter 3, verse 11. It says, God has placed eternity in our hearts. In short, every human being has an inherent knowledge of God. And they just need a little reminder. So there's absolutely nothing to fear, because the reminder is set on people's hearts. St. Augustine once said, You have made this by yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Tozer said, We pursue God, because, and only because, he has put an urge within us that spurs, uh, that spurs us to that pursuit. So deep down inside, all people everywhere have a hidden desire, have a hidden desire to connect to their Creator. And it's our function as Christians, actually, to remind them of that. Billy Graham once said, The evangelistic artist is always urgent. The destiny of men and of nations is always being decided. Every generation is crucial. Every generation is strategic. But we are not responsible for past generation, and we cannot bear full responsibility for the next one. However, we have our generation, and God will hold us responsible. But what's most amazing of all is that God himself has chosen each and every one of us to be ambassadors. Ambassadors for his kingdom. I looked up the definition of ambassador, and it says, The highest ranking person who represents his or her own government, or her own government, while living in another country, or it's an authorised representative, or a messenger. If you think about it, the Lord has chosen each and every believer, everywhere, to represent him. We are the best of the best, the apple of our Father's eye, and we are, we are authorised spokesmen for Jesus himself. Now that is a wow factor. Wow. Oh, a hallelujah. <laughs> Several years ago, I found myself getting a little bit, I was getting kind of, I wanted to get more involved really, and I felt the Lord sort of calling me to be part of his mission, and I just felt in one day, Chris, Chris, yes Lord, yes Lord, will you join me in my mission? Oh, thank you so much Lord, and it was such, like, the greatest gift you could ever imagine, to be chosen to work alongside the Lord, but the actual truth is, 
that every single believer has been called to that exact same mission. The problem we have is that because the devil has tricked us, the church has lost at least two generations of people, and we've lost that ability to communicate. If we if we sort of disciple to the next generation, then the, the next generation disciple, we keep that communication open. But when you try to disciple someone two generations ago, we've lost it. So it's important that we just disciple all the time. I'm a feeling that well-known author <laughs> once said. The gospel must be preached afresh and told in new ways to every generation, since every generation has its own unique questions. And so when I first became Christian, it was sort of in our early twenties, about twenty-two. It's a good ten years ago now. <laughs> the church we went to, there was maybe three or four couples our age group, and then a lot of them older, and we're just a couple of teenagers. And the teenagers kind of linked on to us, they could communicate to us. And we were in that place where we could communicate well to them, and communicate well to their parents. So we were kind of the missing link. And that kind of group, we kind of formed a, a youth fellowship really, didn't we? And it kind of grew from about maybe three people, to about 17 people in a very, very short space of time. Because we were young enough to communicate, the older people couldn't do it. And that's why it's so important to keep that open. But the thing is that every single one of these people, no matter what age they are, they've got questions. You know, everybody's got a story. And we've got to have answers for these people. But it's important that you understand the question. Sue sometimes has got a really, really bad habit. I might be talking to her. And she'll give me the answer to what I've been saying. And it wasn't what I was saying in the first place. So we need to like make sure that we understand people. When I was Chris, I had a grandson Chris and a son Chris. And now our sons, yeah, I mean he's I won't tell you all these now, I'm giving things away then, but but when you were little, maybe seven or eight years old, he come up to me one day and he said, Dad, where do I come from? Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't realise at that time already. So we was in the bedroom, so I shouted out to Sue, I said, So just give us ten minutes. Alright, so, so I said, come and sit aside with me, boy. So he comes and sat aside and said, well, when mummy and daddy's in love? Well, I'm not going to tell you the story. If you don't know it now, I should mummy and daddy when you get home. But I told him, and I thought, really sort of proud of myself, you know, and a quite a good job there. And he's looking at me stupid. But what's that, son? He said, well, there's a new kid starting our school today, and he comes from Melbourne. And I just wondered, where do I come from? <laughs> We need to listen carefully. But, which may now, John Wimber once said, if you want to work for the, for, for the Lord, see where the Holy Spirit is working. And John, I'm going to tell you where the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is working here, right in our hearts. All you've got to do is, what has the Lord got planned for doing to? What has the Lord got planned for the church? We need to seek the Lord's will. Thank you. Yes, we're on a mission. God is the almighty God of almighty love, and He is on a mission. He's on a mission calling all people of all time back into an intimate and dynamic relationship with Himself. God the Father's heart is love. And 
desires for all people to come to a saving knowledge of his Son, Jesus Christ, sending out the Spirit to empower his people and call people to respond to that cry of love. That is the Gospel. God the Father calls all people of all time to hear his cry of love for them and to respond to him. And that's we know that while all are chosen, we also know very few respond to that call. God is a mission-minded God. So if that is God's part of the mission, what is ours is his church in the 21st century. For as the church, God's people, we also are on a mission. From our reading in Mark chapter 12, we see that sin is a failure to love God and a failure to love other people. We break God's commandment when we do not show love to him or other people. How do we love God? The primary way of loving God is to love other people, says the Apostle John in 1 John 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God and hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. I wonder what John's message to the church these days would be. Probably slightly easier than Paul's, no doubt. Because Paul had a temper. Oh, it's easy to love your friends and those you actually like. It's easy to love those around you, including those you don't know. But Jesus, Jesus as ever goes even further than that. He commands that those who are following him those who declare they love him must also go and love their enemies. Jesus commands his followers, all those who claim to be his disciples, to love those that they don't like or ever want him to like. Now that's radical, isn't it? How is it possible to love our enemies? Well, I must say that it's only with the help of God and his abundant grace towards us as we depend on the Holy Spirit to empower us. By relying on His power and strength, by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit who is within us, can we love all people, including those who would wish us harm. To love only those who love us is what those outside the church expect as normal behaviour. But as Christians, as God followers, we are to be seen to love more than other people. As Christians, we are to be radically different from other people. Radically different in that we are to love other people extraordinarily and extravagantly, compelled as we are to reflect our love for an almighty God and almighty love. It's to be a love that is selfless, a love which reflects the love of the almighty God and almighty love. It's a love that is a giving of one's very self in order that the Christian is of service to other people, regardless of any relationship between them or none. The Christian is to love others sacrificially and selflessly, echoing the very way that God loved and still loves. Is that your experience of Christian love? Both in giving to others and receiving from others? As Christians, we're to be so filled and magnetised with God's love and with his grace that is an instant attraction to others of the majestic goodness 
and love of God we claim to serve and love. Is that your experience? By knowing others, in this way the gospel becomes magnetic, attractive and undeniable. Even the people like Ricky Gervais and what's his name? Oh, Dickie Dawkins. What would our communities be like if the Christians acted like that? That would be a wow, wouldn't it? The prime hallmark of being a Christian is to love. Another question. Can we run out of this type of love? No. Because it's always topped up by the grace of God we love, adore, worship. It lives within us, empowering, guiding, and encouraging us. We ask God to keep empowering us. We try in our own strength, we'll fail, we'll trip up. But if we love others using the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, then we can love others, even those who wouldn't normally do so. Let's have another song now before we wrap things up. Number 167. Inevitably, it will mean we change for the better as we let God transform us over the rest of our lifetime. It's not always easy, is it? But God helps us. I've been a Christian now for over 30 years, giving in to the call of God and love of my life, rebelling against my parents who told me that churches and Christians were all idiots. I've been through many trials and traumas, most of them I've forgotten. But I know that God has always been there with me. And if it were not for him, and it was not for his love of me, I would not be standing here now. We have a God who is not impassionate towards us, but has suffered in every way that we have and do. No other religion can claim God like that, can they? Why do we evangelize? We're commanded to go and teach. We are commanded to go and show. We tell and show others our gratitude for what God has done for the church, that the church loves because he loved them first. It's a loving response to the overwhelming experience of God's love which we ourselves have received and shown. We are called to be his messengers. We are all called to do the work of the evangelist. We are called to reflect our missionary God. We really are winding things up now, I promise. Let me pose you a couple of questions. I may even have asked them last year, but they're just as pertinent today. Question one. Which gospel message are we sharing with others by being and doing? Is it the message we heard earlier and is expressed succinctly by Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15? Christ Jesus came into the world to save the world. That is the gospel of grace. Or do we deliberately or inadvertently live and tell another gospel, a false gospel, something even slightly different, which is no gospel at all? We hear all the time on the, so from the churches around that, we all different types of gospels. Question two, which God do we tell others about and show others? Is it the God of the Bible who is a triunity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? 
or whom humanity is placed in the image of, was it some kind of false god made in our own image? Only a load of gods out there as well within the church, isn't there? Question three. Are we as 21st century believers, as part of our taking for granted our salvation, not sharing about Jesus when we have the opportunity to? I know I do. Because we really take for granted the opportunity to tell those who are not Christians about God and love. Or am I alone in that? So when we go around here, let's make a choice to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. Follow Jesus closely to the praise and honour of God the Father. If we let his light shine out of us into our communities, that the spiritual darkness dying to know personally our majestic, almighty God and almighty love because of loving King. Let his love shine out from us as we learn to submit to him, loving each other and loving others in order to reflect this almighty God and almighty love. Put your thinking of God into practice, which is evangelism. Sharing Jesus through words and actions. And if the God we serve is a majestic, almighty King of kings of almighty love, who is personal, ageless, without decay or corruption, invisible and the only God, then we are duty-bound to tell and show others, aren't we? Engaging in both the evangelism of being and the evangelism of doing. After all, each of us here who are Christians are in part because somebody somewhere and somebody at some time told us about the offer to succumb to the patience of Jesus and accept him as master of their life. Let's go. Are you ready? You are able to respond. As Christians, we have good news for the world. It's up to us to go out living in the joy of salvation. It's up to us to go share and show others about this great God of salvation and joy we can follow, love and worship. Being a Christian is to be for 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. There's no point just being a nice little Christian on a Sunday and not showing it the rest of the week is there. That kind of faith won't last. Indeed, that kind of Christianity isn't even Christianity, really. It's just a lazy and insipid form of religion. And for sure as Christians, we'll be alienated by some as we go about sharing with others, but we'll also be embraced by others. What is for us? Who shall we fear? God is a missionary God, and because he is a missionary God, we the church, all Christians are also on a mission to share about this God. We love God because he loved us first, we have to take risks in order to continue this mission. Risks are led, to, led by God to the glory of God alone. I can't tell you the number of times I've been told by others, even in the last week, we've never done it that way before. Are you sure it will work? Well, it won't work if we never try it, will it? Let's go at last to the glory of God, loving radically to reflect an almighty God and almighty love. Let's give in to this tremendous love. This almighty God of Almighty God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your, your